Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Dave Crouch, and this is Policy Talks, the virtual way this morning. We're uh, bringing it to you by way of Zoom, and uh, everyone is in their respective quarters uh, that they are residing in for the time being, and the uh, world has changed drastically, and we're going to talk about that uh, in just a moment. I uh, just want to thank uh, our Creed and his crew over at uh, WCTV for making it uh, happen in a way that we could actually do it from home and from our respective uh, offices. Uh, understand WAKM is on the air this morning, Channel 3 is on the air, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, uh, being with those audiences. Uh, special thanks this morning to Abby Bass and Kel McDowell for uh, coordinating this with the chamber. It's uh, kind of a new format for us. And uh, we uh, are adapting well, I think. We had a trial run yesterday, so hopefully we will look uh, very professional for our, uh, our audience. Special guests today include our uh, Weeps County Legislative Delegation, Senator Jack Johnson, our Tennessee Senate Majority Leader, and representing our 23rd District, Jack. Glad to have you with us, uh, Representative Glenn Cassida, representing our, our 63rd House District, and Representative Sam Whitson, representing our 65th House District uh, this morning. Uh, Representative Brandon Ogles is not uh, able to be with us, uh, and uh, hopefully will be back with us next month, or when we uh, get back to normal. So, uh, world is... Uh, 180 degrees different from the last time we were talking a month ago, which is remarkable all by itself. And um, I know that you gentlemen have been uh, hearing from constituents, hearing from small businesses, and uh, uh, being affected by this yourself. Uh, uh, just starting with Jack, tell us, Jack, what you're hearing from out in the community and what it actually means for uh, the people here in Williamson County. Well, it's, it's unprecedented, Dave. We're, we're certainly experiencing a situation that none of us have experienced in our lifetimes to literally have the American economy come to a, to a screeching halt uh, effectively. Uh, obviously, it's, it's devastating to, to many uh, of our small businesses in particular and medium and large sized businesses as well. Um, and so I'm hearing a lot of fear, a lot of concern, rightfully so, not just about the virus and, and trying to stay safe and from it, uh, from a health standpoint, but certainly what are going to be the long-term impacts to our economy. The good news is we entered this, uh, this crisis with a very strong economy, not only at the federal level, but in particularly here, here in Tennessee and, and, and in Williamson County. That's good news, uh, but no matter how strong your economy was, Everyone is going to, going to feel the impacts of this for some time. You know, at the federal level, the House will be taking up the uh, the 2.2 billion dollar or trillion dollar rather. That's with a T. The yeah. 2.2 trillion dollar uh, relief package. I expect that that will help. The market certainly uh, responded favorably. Uh, a lot of businesses, even though they've had to send their employees home, um, you know, our unemployment claims uh, obviously hit a, an all-time record at 3.3 million, I believe it was. Um, and and in, at the state level, I think we're in the 30-something thousands in term, terms of unemployment insurance claims. Right. So um, 
so that's what I'm hearing is, is, is fear, uh, uncertainty. Um, but I'm also hearing a, a, a very positive spirit of, uh, uh, you know, of can do it. You know, we can, we can get through this. We can weather this. Uh, we're going to have to, we're going to have to see how this falls out. And most importantly, uh, keep people safe. Uh, let's beat the virus. And then once it's beat, let's figure out how to get this economy back on its feet. That's, uh, that's, that's great. Uh, Glenn, what are you hearing? You know, it's it, the gambit, uh, just like Jack articulated so well, a lot of fear and, and uh, I, I get a lot of form letters asking the governor just to shut, uh, they call it the shelter and residence, to shut everything down. But I, I get an equal pushback that uh, this is a virus that we've been through these similarly before. Uh, matter of fact, 10 years ago, H1N1, you know, killed, uh, infected 61 million people and killed 13,000. So we've, we've been here before. This is not new. And so, um, uh, but I'm impressed with the way the governor has mobilized the state, uh, activated the, the healthcare industry, uh, activated volunteerism, and, and Tennessee is responding very well to this, to this uh, scare. Great, good. Sam, what, uh, what are you hearing? What are you, uh, does your military background change your perspective on this any? Well, you know, I've uh, been asked that before, uh, Dave, and um, again, echo what Jack and Glenn said, uh, it is a lot of fear out there, but you know, we trained in the army for 20, I did for 26 years to operate in environments of uncertainty. And uh, what I found that gets you through that is strong leadership and working together as a team. And I think that's what we're seeing across our state right now. Um, it's, and you know, Jack and Glenn, you know, said it well about how just the increase in unemployment, uh, claims uh, I just saw last night the state in one week had a 1300% increase in the unemployment claims from the previous week. So looking back, uh, I want to commend the House and Senate leadership over the years have built up our rainy day fund. I mean, that is really, uh, this is the situation where we need it. And they did a great job building that up over the years and they used to be complimented. But I see a spirit in our neighborhood here in our town. Uh, neighbors are working together, helping out our elderly neighbors who cannot get out or should not get out and just run into the store. Pam and I, uh, we have, since we finished up our legislative session last Thursday, 1130 at night, uh, we have stayed in place. Uh, uh, I've never, this first time in my life, I think it's been over two weeks since I've been to a restaurant. So that's, that changes things, but also that has a direct impact on those workers and the owners. And I'm hearing from them. Uh, yesterday I got a call. Uh, people still want to have at the funeral home. People still want to have visitation. They still want to have services. And that puts the, uh, that puts people in danger when they do that. And, 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 you know, we have such a, a great staff out there at our local funeral home. At Williamson Memorial, uh, they're trying to get reach that balance to service to their customers, but also protect their staff and protect the other members, uh, people who attend the funeral. So those are challenges. I mean, it opens up a whole new ball game for so many people on how to adapt to this and how to move forward. But I, I'm positive. I'm optimistic. I think we'll come out of this thing better, better prepared for the next one. Uh, I hope we never have. But uh, this is America. We get through these things. Depressions, war economic downturns um, and chaos, and I think we will be fine. Well said. Uh, now there's a debate uh, kind of brewing a little bit. Uh, I guess President Trump started it about when we should anticipate going back to work and seeing the nation go back to work. Uh, 
our former senators are weighing in on this. Uh, Bob Corkle came out uh, here this past week uh, saying uh, we need to get back to work sooner. Senator Frist, I noticed in the paper this morning, uh, kind of taking the other side of that argument. Uh, what, uh, what say you, uh, gentlemen? Well, I, I'll start, and, and, and again, it's uh, we're giving opinions. Um, you, you know, the negative to government is, there's a positive, government ha has a lot of resources, but the negative is government in general tends to create these cookie cutter solutions. Um, this virus, if, if you're in good health, uh, if you're under 65, your chances of death are almost zero. Uh, and 80% of those that do get it, are, are, are they're, they're ill, but they're not in the bed ill. Right. And so what, what I, if I was emperor of the world, I would say, uh, let's, let's, think, let's, let's craft this to fit the, the problem, which is if you're over 65, shelter and residence, you know, and, and, and coalesce our resources around protecting those that are vulnerable, not destroying the economy. Right. And, and let's kind of preface all this with, uh, no matter what you say, you're going to get criticized. Uh, yes. Yes. One side or the other, uh, yes. because there are pretty strong opinions on both sides of this. Jack, are you, have you formed an opinion? Well, I, I think we've been getting a lot of requests about that, that there should be a, uh, and you can look at this both at the federal level as well as the state level, but, but the, the scenarios are, are very similar. One of the reasons the president has done what he has done kind of on the federal level is because you have hot spots. You have areas where this is a very, very serious, intensive problem, areas like New York, uh, New York City and, uh, specifically. Then Washington State, obviously, where it originated there. And you've got hot spots where, and, and it, it's, it ties very closely to density, where people are more close together. We know that this disease is very contagious. And so where you have high density, you're seeing uh, greater spread. And that's where it's taxing the hospital systems, the healthcare delivery systems more, uh, more dramatically. And so, and similarly at the state level, I think, I don't want to speak for Governor Lee, but I think if you watch his press conferences that he's doing daily, and I encourage everyone to do so, uh, both the president and the governors, there's tremendous information out there, very, very good information. But if you just look at Tennessee, it's, the, the needs are different. You have Nashville, Davidson County with, I believe they've surpassed 200 cases. Williamson County is, is somewhat of a hot spot relative to our size. Yesterday, we eclipsed 70 cases. Um, uh, uh, Shelby County, again, more cases, higher density. But then you've got other parts of the state where there might be one case in an entire county. And so you can't have a, I don't think it's wise to have a cookie cutter approach we need to recognize that, that different areas of the country, different areas of the state are probably going to have uh, different needs in terms of how this is treated and how we respond to it. Um, but, but we have to trust our healthcare officials. Uh, those are the people who have our governor's ear, who have our president's ear, and are making some of these decisions. I'm hearing, and Glenn touched on this, I'm hearing from a lot of folks, this is an overreaction. We're doing more than we should. We're, we're really crippling our economy. And, um, and maybe that's so, but let's get through this and then we'll have plenty of time afterwards to look back on how we responded, maybe what we did. But when you're talking about people's lives, I think it's better to err on the side of caution. I'm looking forward and, and when the president talks about 
trying to get the economy reopened, and we all want that to happen. I think he spoke yesterday in his press conference, and then I saw a later interview where he's looking at areas where there, there is less um, density and, and, and less, a, a, lot, a, a smaller concentration of cases and maybe looking at opening up some of those areas sooner. New York is probably going to be locked down for some time because there's, there's so many cases and there's such high density. Sam? Yes, um, just like to add that as we do more testing and we know and we get better data each day, I think that will guide us which way we go on this. The, the key to uh, our response should be based on data and the, uh, and the results from the testing uh, as we go forward. Okay. Uh, I want to bring in Kel McDowell from the chamber uh, here. Uh, Matt Largen has directed the chamber to take a proactive approach since it's uh, been so devastating to so many small businesses and chamber members. And uh, Kel, if you would give us a synopsis of uh, the, uh, the actions the chamber is taking and, and some of the uh, feedback you're getting from, from our members. Absolutely. Um, first and foremost, I really want to plug um, our COVID-19 resource page, and that's williamsonchamber.com slash coronavirus. On that page, uh, you'll find a multitude of resources, um, not only financial government resources, uh, but also best practices among um, businesses and employers, and also various updates, not only from employers, but our communities and our state as a whole. On there also, we have included our business survey, and it is um, a handful of open-ended questions in which we are asking the business community to really share their story um, about the impacts, um, any innovative solution solutions they're employing, and uh, possible targeted financial relief that could be very beneficial for that business. You know, from those findings, these are very real impacts. You know, this is by no means news. But um, we, we do hear some consistent themes, you know, certainly um, any leeway with the timing on sales tax remittance would be beneficial, payroll, payroll tax relief, um, small business administration loans, and rent and lease relief. Um, off of those small business administration uh, disaster loans, it was late last Friday that Tennessee got the green light from the U.S. Small Business Administration um, for COVID-19 um, economic disaster declaration. So that application is opened up online. The link to it is on our subpage. And again, that's williamsonchamber.com slash coronavirus. And it'll actually be one of the headlining topics for our new series. Um, you know, a lot of these events and programming really have to be pivoted online for us. But we've launched a recurring series called Topics of Today. So next Monday, March 30th at 1 p.m., I'll be joining our president and CEO, Matt Largen, for a conversation on the resources, not only coming from the Williamson Inc., um, but also the resources available state and federal levels as well. And one of the main topics that we'll really be discussing there are those SBA disaster loans. Um, and overall, just um, be sure to tune in. We'll have those links on our social media. It's on our event calendar on williamsonchamber.com. And um, yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity to really give that overview there, Dave. Great. You know, the um, uh, obviously this is pretty tough on small businesses, gentlemen, and uh, I want to come back and, and dig into that just a little bit. But first of all, let's talk about the abbreviated uh, legislative session and how that uh, it, it was a progression over a couple of weeks where they 
tightened down, uh, closed the doors to the public at, uh, at the legislature, and uh, it progressed. And eventually, y'all decided to recess and uh, and come back at a later date. But uh, Jack, you were involved in a lot of the negotiations uh, to come up with that solution to the situation. Tell us a little bit about how that progressed and uh, and, and how you um, uh, passed a an abbreviated budget very quickly. Well, it was uh, it was a remarkable situation. If you look back, and and I guess, gosh, last time we did this town hall meeting, and you look at where we were. If you if you look at where we were when the governor gave his state of the state address on February fourth, I believe it was Tennessee. Um, and again, we we were and we still are in the best fiscal condition we've ever been in as a state. Our revenues were at, at record highs. We were looking at ways to further cut taxes, uh, to invest in, in education, healthcare, all the things that we talked about. The governor had proposed a very robust agenda with criminal justice reform, uh, education reform, building on what we did last year. And literally, as you said, within a matter of days, that entire legislative package and initiative got set aside as this coronavirus crisis evolved and literally we put the brakes on that and leadership came together and said first and foremost we need to get out of here meaning we need to adjourn our session because we're violating the the cdc guidelines of gatherings of more than 10 people so whether it's the 99 house members in their chamber the 33 senators in our chamber not to mention all of our staff uh, the press lobbyists uh, the general public and so a, a very quick decision was made that we would limit access to both our office building, the Cordell Hall building, as well as the Capitol to members and staff and press uh, only. That decision was made. And then a, a, in, in, in consultation with the governor's office, a decision was made to uh, try to get out as quickly as possible. But one of the things we have to do, our only constitutional responsibility is to pass a budget. And our fiscal year ends on June 30, and we start a new fiscal year, July 1. Now, we have recessed our session until June 1, but we all recognize and acknowledge that we may or may not be allowed to come back on June 1. So we literally had to, in a matter of days, focus exclusively on what is critical to the function of government so that our government can continue to function going into the next fiscal year if we're not able to reconvene. And so... We addressed the budget, which we can get into the numbers there, but we scrapped everything, all the new proposals, and basically passed a budget that continues spending from where it was in the previous fiscal year with minor modifications. We took all of our excess revenue, put it in the rainy day fund, about $350 million, got it up to $1.145 billion now in our rainy day fund. We appropriated about $150 million to the governor for emergency spending for both COVID-19 uh, relief as well as tornado relief because remember it wasn't just this virus oh we had a horrible tornado that 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 caused significant damage in, in three Tennessee counties so <clears throat> this all happened in a very very short period of time and I, I it's it's really amazing that we were able to come together as a general assembly house senate and governor's office and get this done uh, on the senate side the budget that we ended up coming up with passed unanimously bipartisan support None of us were happy about it because we all had to set aside all of the legislative initiatives that we felt so strongly about, including the governor, 
in order to get this done. And so I, we can come back to me and I've got some numbers and stuff we can go into about the budget, but uh, I'm sure the other guys want to chime in on just how the crazy process we went through. Glenn, what, what did it look like from your side? Well, and, and let me say, let me brag on Jack and, and the leadership, both in the House and the Senate, because as we go to this landing called putting the budget together, uh, it usually takes two, if not three weeks, Dave, because you have three entities, the House, the Senate, and the governor that have very strong opinions on what the budget should look like. And and, and so I give just a kudos to, to Jack and, and the leadership and the governor uh, for compromising. Uh, they sit down together, and I think in two, if not one evening, they hammered out the differences. Uh, each side, all three sides compromised, and we came up with a darn good budget and, uh, and, and really prepared Tennessee for the upcoming slowdown that's going to come uh, in the next 12 months. So kudos, guys, Jack and leadership team. Thanks, Lynn. Sam, did you uh, see anything different from your seat? Uh, yes. And again, I just want to compliment the leadership, Jack, and, the, and our House leadership and the governor for accelerating this, because one thing they mentioned, uh, we're so dependent on our clerk's office in the House and Senate. If one member of the clerk staff got sick, it would really just shut down our operation. So we were under a timeline that we had to get our work done and get out of there. Uh, one thing I'm concerned about is that citizens may think, well, why don't y'all do that? In one week every year so <laughs> but uh there was a lot we, uh, we did not get accomplished and so we had a lot of bills pending and just kind of the mechanics of the process what i found really interesting and, and we went into what they called the flow motion so we could pass bills critical bills to our state that's what we focused on those that were about federal funding and safety transportation and health uh, that we had to get passed before we could present the final budget and for instance uh I'm on five committees up there, and if there's a bill that involves transportation, we had to, in one day, we had to hold a, uh, a committee meeting in sub, transportation sub, transportation full, uh, finance sub, finance full, and then it had to go to calendar rules, and then that process to get it on the floor. So there was a lot of meetings, but people were practicing, uh, you know, social distance uh, the best they could up there, but the leadership really took this uh forward, uh, work closely with our friends and the Democrat Party, uh, and I would like to just point out the final budget passed 89 to 3 in the House and 29 to 0 in the Senate, so it showed that we were all focused on getting this budget passed and uh, getting the help to the people of Tennessee that needed it. Absolutely. Uh, come back to you, Jack. Uh, now, I think as the last time we were talking, you all were expecting a, I believe it was a 350 or 400 million dollar increase in the budget this year, just simply from the growth of the economy. Um, do we have any tangible numbers yet on how this uh, slowdown is is affecting uh, the economy and and how it might affect the tax uh, receipts this year? Sure. Well, remember with our with our budget, we do everything on a forecast. So we project or we predict what revenues will be into the coming fiscal year. We're very conservative with those projections. We have a funding board. It's made up of the governor, constitutional officers, economists. They look at our economy, look at employment rates, look at a number of different factors, and they come up with what with a projected growth rate. And to put it into perspective, the growth rate that we had used for the current fiscal year, not the coming, but the current fiscal year, 
which would be the 1920 fiscal year that will wrap up June 30th. Mm -hmm. Our growth rate was 3.75% is, is what we had used a year ago for the coming year. And we were going to exceed that. We were going to surpass that 3.75, which was a fairly ambitious growth rate. But, but right. given our economy, it was, it was very reasonable. And so we were going to surpass that. We reduced that projection for our current fiscal year by two point, to, reduced it to 2.5% from 3.75%. That means that we're cutting our budget for the current fiscal year because this thing hits in March. So we've got March, April, May, and June. We've got four months left to go in this fiscal year. And we know it's, it's, it's hitting us right now. So we're hopeful that by making that reduction, for the current fiscal year, we'll be able to close the books and be balanced, as we say, for this current fiscal year. And if not, we'll have to make adjustments. Looking ahead to the next fiscal year, we had settled on a growth rate projection of 3.1% for the coming fiscal year. We cut that to zero. So we cut it from a, an anticipated projected growth rate of 3.1% to zero. So we're, we're planning on that in the next fiscal year, our revenue collections will be the same at, as, as we were this year. No new growth. That, what that ended up meaning was a reduction of about $900 million in one budget from what we thought we were going to have to what we're actually going to plan to spend coming into the, into the next fiscal year. But even doing that, Dave, we were able to fund the critical functions of government. What I mentioned earlier, we're fully funding the BEP formula. We're put $350 million, that's one-time non-recurring money, into the rainy day fund. So we'll have that if we're able to move forward. We fully, fund, fully funded our pension plan. We fully funded OPEB liabilities. Um, at, we, were, we were able to, again, using one-time money, we had talked about last time how we were going to give back to cities and counties $100 million. We doubled that to $200 million because they're suffering as well. Hopefully that will help uh, ease that pain on our local governments a little bit and a number of other things. So, uh, but it was, it's drastic. It's remarkable. We went from a very ambitious uh, budget projection for the coming fiscal year and basically took it to zero. Uh, unprecedented for, for sure. Um, and before we get too deep into the numbers, uh, the, the legislation there in the, in last week was, uh, uh, affecting a lot of education issues that uh, all of our parents uh, are interested in finding out about what uh, what this means for our schools. And uh, so I understand there were some changes made to the requirements uh, for our schools this year, uh, things like testing and, and graduation requirements. Uh, could you give us a, a rundown on exactly how those changes will affect uh, the kids here in our county, Glenn or well, I think the number one thing is the the TN ready the the state tests were were delayed, and if a school system still wants to implement it, they can, but uh, they're held harmless on testing. Of course, with the kids out, that the, they didn't have much option, um, and um, so that that's the primary thing that comes to my mind is delaying of the standardized tests, which were mandatory up until the governor gave this uh, gave this order. And so our local governments can now meet uh, just as we are here right now through video conferencing and still conduct the, the, city, the, the business of the city and the county. So the state lightened up on a lot of uh, 
regulations when it regards to local governments and local school systems and letting them letting local decision being made. Yeah, and Glenn hit it uh, right on the testing that we hold them harmless and they can use it though if it helps them though too. We gave them that option. And uh, I was talking with Jason Golden yesterday and David Snowden just checking in on them. And for instance, Williamson County Schools yesterday was technically uh, what you could call their first real day back because they have used up all their snow days and their uh, spring break days. And they're in the process now of connecting with the students. Uh, I understand they're issuing Chromebooks uh, to those uh, students who do not have the automation at home, start with the high school, then they go to the middle school and to the elementary schools on that. And so I think that will help. And you'll see you know, the teachers reaching out to their students to get them engaged, get them back in a, a, their uh, classroom mode, but I'm, I'm hearing also parents have stepped up and, uh, and doing a lot of things at home uh, to make sure their the kids stay uh, stay up to speed. It, but it's going to be a challenge for the school. Also, I'd like to point out uh, the Franklin Special School District, uh, they fed over 800 kids yesterday. So they're continuing to take care of their students, their community, and uh, I think you see a real team effort out of uh, folks that, are, that lead our school system. That's interesting. Now, uh, as a parent of a high school senior, uh, my wife and I are uh, really concerned about uh, what does this mean for graduation? What does, uh, uh, do we go ahead and make college plans or, or do we have to go back, send you back to high school again next year? What's the, <laughs> what's the outcome there? Yeah, let me chime in on that, Dave, and, and add to what Glenn and, and Sam said, because they're, they're exactly right. And, and I sponsored legislation. It was an administration bill. So as majority leader, I sponsored it right there. At, it, this was one of the critical bills that we had to get passed because it, it's quite apparent that it's very unlikely any of our kids are going to meet their requirement to be in classroom instruction for 180 days. Uh, I hope that our kids are able to go back to school but we certainly have to be prepared for the fact that they may not, they may not go back. So in addition to waiving the testing requirements, the, the mandatory uh, classroom time uh, uh, requirement is, has been waived. Um, all kids will advance. If they were on track to advance from fifth grade to sixth grade, they will advance. Those who are set to graduate will graduate. Uh, no one's gonna be penalized because of this. And this is very important. You got to look at it at the, at the student level, at the teacher level, and then also at the school and school district level. And basically what we did is we wiped the slate clean on all of that. So teachers, in terms of their evaluations, they're not going to be penalized. Um, as, as Sam said and Glenn said, the TN Ready testing, if they're able to go back, uh, if some schools are able to go back, the districts may permissively administer uh, the, the standardized assessments, but they can only use those assessments if they benefit the student or the teacher or the district. If they're not able to take those, no student, teacher, nor school district is going to be penalized. And every kid will advance if they were on track to advance otherwise. So it's very important, it's a great question, and probably one of the most important things we did because of the disruption to our school, school system. So uh, our, our districts right here are doing a great job I've got two kids in, in Williams County High School, and, and we're getting daily emails and trying to keep them, uh, 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 you know, engaged and still trying to keep them learning a little bit. None of us thought we were going to become homeschoolers. 
you know, a month ago, but, but we all are now. If you've got kids at home, you're doing some form of homeschooling. But very important for anyone watching to know, no one's going to be hurt by this uh, in terms of their academic accountability. Well, good. The, uh, I know that uh, at least uh, one of our clients who's a teacher in a local high school doesn't have very good internet access at his home, so he's concerned about being able to actually uh, help out the kids without being able to come into the school. So there are a lot of logistical challenges to it, and I know everybody's working very hard to try to meet those challenges. Let's uh, spend a couple minutes, and just so you'll kind of know where we're going, I'd like to spend a few minutes talking about um, specifically what help there is out there for small businesses as a result of, of your work and what they're doing in Washington. And then uh, a little while on uh, just what help there is for the uh, unemployed. Um, the uh, What state assistance do small businesses have available to help get them through this crisis and, uh, uh, and be able to come out on the other side of it uh, financially sound? Jack, what do you think? Well, um, so you think, break it down in terms of federal and state level. Uh, at the at the federal level, there's 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 a lot going on. This 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 federal stimulus plan that that we expect to pass today in the House. Um, unfortunately, I don't think they're going to be able to do it by unanimous consent. Uh, I've seen some tweets and some social media um, uh, posts that where members are driving in. Uh, I saw, uh, I believe, two of our congressmen, John Rose and, and Tim Burchett, they, they drove throughout the night because they got word uh, yesterday that they would be voting on this and, and they either couldn't fly or didn't want to fly. And so they're literally driving up to Washington so they can be there and probably do it on a voice vote, not to get into the weeds, but at the federal level in, in, the, in the House, you can do things by unanimous consent as long as there's no objection and you don't even have to be present. They can just, basically the speaker can ask for unanimous consent, but if one member objects, and I don't know who the one member was, but apparently someone did object, and then they can do it by voice vote, or they can do it by roll call vote, and I think they expect to do it by, by vo voice vote. The important thing is, however, it will pass. That's over $2 trillion that in various forms of assistance to individuals, small businesses, and so forth. In addition to that, the Federal Reserve uh, is freeing up about $4 million, uh, I keep saying that, Four trillion. It's hard to say trillion. Uh, Four trillion dollars in in loan capacity that will go out to to businesses as well. So and and a lot of that will be driven through the Small Business Administration. So certainly get online, look at your resources there. Uh, don't hesitate to contact your your federal delegation about that. Then at the state level, um, our biggest issue right now is going to be unemployment insurance claims, and and our system. Uh, we, you know, we try to keep it as prepared as possible. Good news is our, our fund, our unemployment insurance uh, fund, is, is it's very well funded. So we've got capacity there. I'm more concerned about the systems and the system crashing as people go in to apply. I know the governor and the, and the commissioner of, of labor and workforce development is, is trying to make sure that they have all hands on deck to be able to, to handle these claims. Keep in mind that a lot of the state employees who handle these requests are not at work either. So they're working from home, working remotely. So I ask folks to be patient, but, uh, but certainly take advantage of these various benefits with what's available through the Small Business Administration. Kel 
And I know our chamber and, and Matt Kel, uh, gave out some great resources there earlier. Make sure you're staying on top of that with any questions that you have. So make sure you pursue, whether you're a small business owner or a medium-sized business or large business, I, but, but probably your smaller business is going to be the ones that are more susceptible to, to, to the, the impact of this and less able to sustain themselves for a prolonged period of time. But make sure you're pursuing all resources available at both the state and the federal level. Yeah, I'd like to add what Jack said, uh, that this is a good time to be a member of the chamber. And uh, also, I talked to Jim Brown at NFI, NFIB, National Federation of Independent Businessmen. They have a lot of resources and um, on this. But the state also increased the number of uh, uh, staff at the unemployment insurance uh, office to handle these claims, I think, by 100 employees this week. And they upgraded their system, if I understand it. And a young lady who lost her job at one of our local restaurants contacted me on Tuesday, uh, asked how long it would take to get her unemployment benefits. I said, well, you know, right now it, we're being swamped. But she sent me an email last night that she got a call back from the state and they're working on her claim. So uh, that's encouraging to hear that. I know other people are still waiting, but uh, I, I feel the state is moving in the right direction by increasing the staff, uh, upgrading their system and focusing on those who need the help. Dave, Great. let me let me uh, reinforce what Jack and Sam have said. I've got I've just put up the numbers here and uh, and it's a testament. I think President Trump is doing an excellent job responding to if to what could could be an economic uh, problem if we don't respond properly. So, for example, the federal government that when it does pass, will have 350 billion that's what it means, in job retention loans to small businesses. So if small businesses here in Franklin, uh, there's $350 billion they can go to to pull from, to loan from with very low interest rates to keep the doors open until this thing passes over. There is $350 billion in direct payments to the U.S. citizens uh, that they'll be getting a check in the mail to continue to spend uh, when they are laid off from their job. Uh, the federal government has expanded unemployment by $250 billion, uh, and uh, there's half a trillion dollars going to these uh, tourism and travel industry to, to keep the airlines uh, open. So it's phenomenal what the president uh, and how he's responding to the economic uh, issue that's, that's going to be around the corner when all this hits. It, uh, again, in Washington, I think they're similar to what you all were able to do last week. Uh, they are coming together and uh, passing some very significant legislation. Uh, one of the things that uh, our survey at the chamber uh, raised is a concern of our uh, members. Uh, they're going from a very robust economy to no economy uh, almost overnight. And now they've got uh, sales tax receipts due for uh, the next few weeks, and that may be the only cash they've got in their, in their checking account. Is there any provision in the state to uh, give them any relief on sales tax receipts? Is there any uh, discussion of that? Have you heard of anything? Dave, I'm not, I'm not aware, and I'm happy to check about specifically to sales tax uh, receipts and, and remitting those sales tax collections to the state. We'll be glad to get an answer and maybe we can provide that to Kel and, and get it out to the to the chamber folks. I will say that the uh, your franchise excise tax filings have been delayed until July 15th, which is consistent with what the federal government did relative to income tax filings. 
delaying that from April 15th until, until July 15th. Another thing I want to just throw in there to make sure that uh, folks know in case we don't get back to it, but your emissions testing uh, has has been been delayed. If, if, you're, if your car tags are due and you need to get emissions testing, um, the, those renewals have, have been delayed. And so you don't have to worry about that. The, the implementation of real ID, you know, we've been having a problem at our driver's license testing stations. That's been delayed until 2021. So, you know, there are a number of things in addition to what we talked about on the education side that, that have been delayed. So, um, and, and, and the governor's executive order yesterday, I think it's interesting too, he's doing a lot by executive order to waive requirements for healthcare professionals, their continuing education, licensing renewals, things of that nature, uh, waiving requirements that, that would prohibit uh, a retired doctor from coming back into service or a retired nurse from coming back into service. So these are some things that are, are literally evolving every day. And that's why I encourage anyone who's watching to make sure you're going online, go to tn.gov at the top of the page, there's coronavirus information. It's in bold red, click on that. You can read, you can watch all of the governor's press conferences and then see highlights there. So trying to, to remove some of these regulatory impediments or obstacles that, that will make it easier for people to provide care, waive some of these, uh, these filing requirements for businesses. And again, I haven't heard, they may have done it, but I'm not aware that they've waived the sales tax uh, uh, filing on that, but we'll be happy to get an answer for you on that. Great. Um, just, uh, I do want to compliment Matt Margin and, and Kel and, and the rest of the staff at the chamber. Uh, I don't know if everyone has heard this, but two of the major restaurant chains in the country have informed their landlords now that they will not be paying their rent the 1st of April. And uh, Matt and the team there are uh, Matt specifically is talking to a lot of the major uh, landlords for the commercial properties in, in our uh, county and encouraging them to proactively uh, waive the April rent for some of these businesses that have been hard hit. So, uh, and I'll plug the, the uh, session that uh, Matt and Kel will do Monday at one o'clock again to uh, get the details. But uh, if uh, anything you all can do to uh, uh, give them the information they need to get out to our uh, small business here in the county, we'd appreciate. Let's uh, pivot now to uh, the, uh, the people that are now unemployed as a result of this, uh, of this crisis. Uh, I know the state's done uh, quite a bit in the legislation you did last week to try to help out uh, the unemployed. Uh, Jack, if you'll kind of give us an overview of it, and then uh, Glenn and Sam, if you will, uh, give us some additional detail if you can. But uh, yeah. I'll share. Yeah, sure. I'm happy to, Dave. And again, I, I sound like a broken record. I just want people to know that the, the two different pathways there are to find assistance and relief, and that's state and federal. The state administers our unemployment insurance uh, fund, unemployment uh, uh, compensation. And so if you've been laid off, if you've been furloughed from your job, you need to be pursuing that immediately. Um, as, as was mentioned earlier, the, the department is, is staffing that as best they can to make sure that those claims can get processed because that's the quickest way to get money in your pocket. You've also got the relief that's coming from the federal level that uh, 
that hopefully will pass today in, 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 in the House of Representatives and get to the president's desk so he can sign it. And they expect that to, it's the federal government. So even when they're trying to move fast, it's probably gonna be a couple of weeks before that money is in people's pockets. Um, it could be even a little bit longer, but, but make sure that you're pursuing that. The most immediate thing you can do though, is if you've been laid off, you've lost your job, is to make sure you're filing for your unemployment insurance. Uh, let me just say this, um, uh, hopefully I don't need to, that's not welfare. Um, that's, that's something that is there. You lost your job through no fault of your own. Uh, you're entitled to that money. It, anyone who's ever employed anyone pays money into the unemployment insurance compensation fund. And so that's why it's there. And you need to file and, and get those claims in so you can get that money in your pocket. The, uh, the TANF program, uh, has been a little bit controversial this year uh, because the governor had not distributed the funds. Uh, as it turns out, it may have been uh, the best thing that could have happened to our uh, unemployed. Uh, it, that fund is now being used, I think, to uh, to assist uh, the unemployed. Can Can any of you give us any details on that program? Is that the TANA fund, Dave, where, uh, for families and uh, yes. people who lost their jobs as of, uh, I think, March 11th? And uh, I believe it, it funds up to $1,000 a month. And that's in addition to the unemployment funds, my understanding. And also, there's still SNAP and other assistance programs out there. Um, but the, they just came out with that. And you're right. We had, what, 700? And Jack, Lynn can correct me. I think we had $750 million in that TANA uh, or in that fund. And then... Like you said, it was kind of a, now I'm glad we have that money in there. So, right. uh, the, uh, any, but do you all have the details on who qualifies for, for that assistance? If you give me a second, I can pull it up on my computer. I put it out on my Facebook account, but it, it, it graduates uh, from uh, families with children, if I'm correct, up to, uh, you get X amount of, um, based on the number of children in the household. And, when you lost your job and also um, the unemployment compensation and insurance also understand for those who were part-time workers also who lost their job so there's uh, they ease the, re the requirements to apply for that and who who qualifies for that good dave can i i want to pivot off something sam said it, his, his comment was as good that we had that much money in tanf for some reason, some in the media like to criticize the legislature for so, for being so cautious, for having so much money in savings, for having so much money held back. But this is why, because things happen, and now we're prepared, and most states are not. And so uh, I want to, again, kudos to General Assembly and, and the governor on being cautious and conservative with your money, because now we can help you when that time, when the, when, the, when it does rain. Right. Uh, one of the uh, elements of the uh, legislation last week, uh, Jack, you put 150 million into uh, just health and safety as a result of the epidemic. Uh, specifically, who gets that money? Where does it go? Who qualifies for it? Sure. Well, understandably, the, the governor has broad authority uh, with that money, and that's, that's for good reason. Um, you know, we, unlike the federal government, unlike some other state legislatures, we're not in year round, even, even when we don't have a crisis. So, so we appropriate money and we allow the executive branch to spend that money. We typically put what I call guardrails on money can be spent for this and that. There are reporting requirements from the executive branch, the, the governor's office back to the general assembly in terms of how they spend it. 
and and certainly we hold them accountable uh, for for how they spend it. This 150 million, again, the governor has very broad authority with that, but in general, it is for our public health department. That's that's these guys are going to be on the front lines, especially out in some of our rural counties. Um, the, the county health departments that are going to be seeing and diagnosing and potentially treating uh, people mm-hmm. who get sick. It's for acquiring tests. A lot of conversations out there about tests and testing and how important that is. And we want anyone who needs to be tested to be tested. Not everyone needs to be tested, but if you have symptoms and your healthcare provider deems it necessary, we want to make sure those tests are available. Providing the personal protective equipment, you hear people talk about PPE. That's for our healthcare providers. They're in some areas, again, not everywhere, but in certain places, there are hot spots where the healthcare system is being taxed. So we want to make sure that they have the resources necessary for that. Again, the 150 million was both for COVID-19 as well as tornado relief, because we had the tornado that came in. And then literally just a days or a week or two later, then this virus breaks out. So the governor has a broad authority to use that for relief specific to those two uh, issues, those two matters, the COVID-19, as well as the tornado uh, relief fund as well. Great. Um, and I'm going to stick with Jack here just a minute uh, as far as the details, because you were so uh, involved and then uh, circle back to Glenn and Sam in a minute. But uh, the uh, doubling of the city and county money, uh, there was a $100 million fund originally planned. That's now been doubled to $200 million. Uh, specifically, do you know what that means to Williamson County and the cities here in the county? Sure. It's basically, if you think of it this way, what what the, the, and we loosen these guidelines a little bit, by the way, certainly counties and local governments will be able to use this money for tornado relief, COVID-19 relief as they deem necessary. What the intent was, was to, uh, uh, for the money to be used by cities and counties for things that they would not otherwise be able to afford. We don't want them coming in and, and, and patching a recurring budget issue, um, uh, year over year, but use it for capital expenses. That could be road projects, bridge projects. It could be for IT upgrades, things of, of that nature. So it's, it's a pretty broad spectrum, but in general, um, we want them to use it for, and of course now, <laughs> given what, what has, what has transpired, uh, their, their focus may have, may, may have changed. The hundred million was appropriated before this virus broke out, before we knew that, the, and, and before the tornado. It, it was proposed before either of those those uh, those things happened. So certainly, <clears throat> cities and counties can use it for for relief for those those things. Outside of, of that, uh, generally capital expenditures, things that that they've just not been able to get to or afford um, up to this point. And so I I, I would imagine a lot of them are going to need it for. Uh, for, for helping out either with tornado relief for those counties that were impacted by the tornado or for uh, for helping bolster their healthcare delivery systems. Right. Yeah, uh, Glenn, any, anything else uh, in that uh, last minute legislation that was done that you wanna call our attention to? You know, to, in light of how we're being very conservative and pulling back, there's two things that we have continued our expansion on. And number one was broadband expansion. We, we had another $25 million we're uh, putting in grant funds to help broad ba- broadband uh, that affects uh, our rural parts of our county. And then telehealth. Uh, we are uh, expanding telehealth, uh, even with the budget cutbacks. And that's going to be critical to helping people that are shut in. 
uh, is with that. So those are two things I'm proud we continued the expansion on. And Dave, I'll get you those exact numbers, the impact of Williamson County when they doubled the amount to counties and cities. Uh, actually, that list is sitting on my desk in the Cordell Hall building, which is locked down right now, but I, I can get you the information. Also, I just want to add, uh, we talked about it earlier, relaxing the regulations and the uh, requirements. Uh, was on a conference call with the Department of Safety earlier this week, our good friend Jeff Long and his team. And they are working very close uh, with the trucking industry to make sure that the vital supplies and food distribution is handled efficiently and uh, on time and on target, as we say. And, and I'm really just proud of our state agencies that are stepping up and working with our industry to make sure uh, that uh, we receive the things that we need uh, in our local communities. But I'll dig those numbers up for you and we'll get that posted, Dave. Just, uh... Uh, getting texts from Rogers Anderson, our county mayor, mayor to uh, let us know, uh, uh, let people know uh, that uh, renewal stickers on your uh, license plates uh, can be mailed from the clerk's office. Uh, they're not going to be charging for that service as they normally do uh, for the time being. And uh, Rogers just says, call the clerk's office. Uh, that is 615-790-5712. And uh, that will uh, avoid anybody actually having to go to the county clerk's office to get their uh, license tags renewed. The uh, um, honestly, that uh, pretty much hits all the bullet points that I uh, had. This is probably the hardest agenda I've ever had to prepare because there were so many uh, unusual things going on that. Uh, it was just hard to kind of capture it and organize it into a, a conversation here. But uh, Jack, is there anything else that we uh, we need to be talking about? Well, I, again, I sound like a broken record. It, it, things are fluid and things are changing. Um, make sure you're staying on top of the, uh, the website, tn.gov. Uh, and there's all kinds of coronavirus information on there. Uh, either watch live or it, they can be found on YouTube or on the state website links to the governor's press conferences because things are, are changing daily and, and that's at the state and the federal level as well. So, so stay plugged in. Uh, you can contact our, our offices. You should know that our staff uh, are working from home, um, but we are trying to keep an eye on emails, uh, phone calls. If you leave a message, our staff members are calling in and retrieving those voicemails. We'll get back to you as, as quickly as we can. Be patient with us because uh, it's just a it's a strange time uh, right now. But again, I'm I'm optimistic. Uh, we will get through this as Tennesseans and as Americans. We'll be better on the other side. It's not going to be easy, but uh, but we'll come together and we'll get through this and uh, we'll hopefully get this economy back on its feet. Williamson County is and will continue to be an economic engine of the state. And uh, we can be proud of that. And we just got to get it back going whenever, whenever we can do so safely. And we'll rely on our healthcare professionals as to when that is. Hopefully it's sooner rather than later. Great. Um, Gil McDowell, be prepared. I'm going to bring you back to uh, remind us about the Chamber Resources. Glenn, any kind of closing remarks you, you might have? Don't, don't be afraid. This country has gone through, in the last 100 years, several uh, viral attacks, viruses that attack our country uh, that are deadly, and we've survived. And, and so uh, continue on with life as best you can. 
don't be afraid and, and, and help your neighbor whenever you can. Good advice. Sam? Um, one, th one positive thing I heard uh, talking to Ellie Chen earlier this week is that the uh, hospitality industry is normally the first and the one industry that uh, re returns back to normal quicker than most other industries. People want to get back out. People want to get when this is over and safe to do so. Um, the, our restaurants and hotels and travel industry will pick up quickly after this is over with. But like Jack and Glenn said, you know, help your neighbor, stay safe. Uh, we will get through this. We will be a better country after uh, this is uh, has passed and it will pass. And uh, we just need to be patient and uh, work together as a team. And we'll will be successful in beating this uh, virus. That's great. Kel, remind us again all the uh, where to find the resources at the chamber, if you will. Absolutely, and, and thank you, Dave. So williamsonchamber.com slash coronavirus. Um, you'll also find it if you go to williamsonchamber.com, it's that banner right there and it'll direct you immediately to that page. Again, it has various resources um, for, for our local business employers. Um, they'll be you know, various news updates posts between our employers and our community. And there is that survey as well. Please, please, please um, share your story. It's incredibly insightful to really hear from these businesses, knowing what the landscape really looks like at this moment and being able to, to really um, act upon that because this changes so much every day. And, you know, one more thing that I really want to share that's just been incredible from those surveys is how many businesses, when we talk about either pivots or even just where targeted financial relief could be, how many recommend, you know, certainly please shop local, gift cards, all these other things, not only referring to themselves, but referring to other businesses as well. We just have this absolutely incredible business community and um, walking with them through this is absolutely been a meaningful experience. Um, one more plug, and that's our Topics of Today series, which launches next Monday. That'll be a live webcast at 1 p.m. Again, that's March 30th, Monday, and you'll be able to find that on WilliamsonChamber.com. So thank you, Dave. Thank you all. I hope, uh, I hope this session has been one of our more informative uh, sessions, and uh, I'll remind our audience that's listening in this morning to tell your friends about it. It will be available uh, on the Chamber website as well as the uh, Williamson County uh, government website. Uh, in a YouTube video here uh, later today. And so hopefully this information will help uh, our folks here in Williamson County adapt to, to what's going on. And uh, just look forward the next time that we're together, gentlemen, uh, that things are gonna be a lot better and, uh, and looking back up. Uh, not sure when our next session will occur. We'll keep you informed on that and uh, let you know about that as time goes on. Uh, do want to uh, thank Kel, Abby Bass at the Chamber, especially for uh, arranging this session uh, online. And uh, uh, it was much uh, smoother than I expected it to be and uh, hope it uh, uh, worked well for the audience. Uh, Creed Henderson, you do a great job back at uh, uh, WCTV and we uh, appreciate all you do to make us look good. Uh, I do want to thank uh, our sponsors, Williams, uh, Vanderbilt, AT&T, and uh, for uh, financial contribution to this show. Uh, we just uh, appreciate all the folks that work together to make it happen. 
And gentlemen, we appreciate you all taking the time to be with us. So you all have a, a good rest of the day. Stay well, and uh, we will see you soon. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, Thank Dave. you, Dave. Thank you, guys. Good seeing you. Thank you.